You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders all over the world about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. Today, my very special guest is my friend and local Central Pennsylvania resident, Jim Degatano. Welcome, Jim. Great to have you Thanks for having me, Tracy. Hey, you're welcome. And Jim is the president of Diamond Wealth Advisors, and his passion is helping his clients receive a better return on life through strategic planning. Jim is committed to guiding others to gain emotional and financial clarity for life's transitions. Amen, brother Jim. So nice to have you here. Hey, it's excellent to be here. Thank you. Well, Jim, For our listeners, I know Jim. I actually connected with Jim when I came back, moved back to South Central PA. But Jim also worked with the tremendous Mr. Mike Wheeler, my betrothed. And Jim, you want to tell us a little bit about kind of previous life where you work with Mike and how you wound up back here? Yeah, Mike, I I met really early on in my career with a prior firm. Mike was the vice president of the field force. And I was just a young up and comer that I guess he put a little bit of time into. He thought he saw some potential. And he was a mentor for me as I worked through the firm and became one of the top advisors for a little over a decade there. And I always felt like he had my six. He was mm-hmm. always there to to just be an ear that if you need to talk to, but you knew that your words coming out of your mouth were going in his ear and not out the other ear. You knew that they were actually being taken to heart. And then oddly enough, to kind of connect the dots when I was talking to Mike, and this is after your wedding, for goodness sake, and I heard the word tremendous many, many times. I'm talking to Mike about uh, potential books, and he says, why don't you talk to Tracy? And I'm thinking, why don't I talk to Tracy? Why am I not talking to Tracy? And uh, the rest is history. So, so yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, and I love that you really help people too look at what is, and it never even, I call them previously unrecognized assumptions. You're like, it didn't even dawn on me. And that's kind of what you, so Jim, have you always had a passion and an interest in all things financial or how did you kind of, what did you notice a gifting in it? Anybody in your family in it, or what drove you to that particular field of work? Interestingly enough, my mom dropped off about two months ago. She kept everything from my kindergarten through high school and college years that she deemed important. And so I'm going back and looking and I have a daughter that's in first grade. One of the reasons why I wrote the Larry the Bunny book we'll talk about at some point, but I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to go through and look at what I was doing in first grade and see how it looks, uh, not competes, of course, with my daughter. But one of the things I noticed was the standard assessment test that they did. And I came up 99.9% consistently on the math. And Mm. so ironically, in second grade, they said, what profession should you do? And the teacher's like something in accounting. (laughs) And that's what I ended up going in. It was so interesting to me that they understood what your inclinations were, what your gifts from God were as early as that age. And I just seem to uh, naturally do very well at math and that fits well with finances. But most importantly, I just, I love people. I mm-hmm. get energy from others and we're all here to make a difference in our own way. And I feel we do that, that here. So that's what led me into my profession. Uh, we'll probably get into some of that other stuff later. We will, and it's a beautiful field. And my dad was in the insurance agency. A lot of people mm-hmm. know that. And he loved that because not a math guy, but a people guy, but he loved what financial freedom, and you even talk about in your book, because we'll cover this at the end, what insurance does for people. Yes. You know, that it's just, we've got God, we plan everything, but it's a beautiful thing to take care of, of those that are going to be around when you're not. 
Very important. Very yeah. important. Well, speaking of Charlie Tremendous Jones, he wrote a little booklet called The Price of Leadership. And this was based on a speech that he gave over and over again. And he was so passionate about leadership, but he was very, very pragmatic about it. He was very funny, but he was very real. You could tell he had been in the trenches. In this, uh, Jim, he really talks about what you're going to need to pay price-wise in order to truly be called a leader. A lot of people think it's title or the cult of personality or whatever, but they're not true leaderships. And he outlines four different points. And I love talking to accomplished people like yourself about the moments in life where they experienced each of these prices, because you're all going to pay this price. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. In fact, it means you're doing it right. And the first one he talked about was loneliness. And, you know, sometimes we think about being a leader and we're like, oh, everybody loves us, right? You know, they're throwing us parties like Michael Scott on The Office, doesn't everybody love? And in fact, you know, there's a certain element of loneliness that the leader has to carry. And it's not a bad thing. It is a thing though. So Mm -hmm. can you share with our listeners maybe some examples of where you experience this and maybe a word for some of them that may be in a season of loneliness right now? Yeah, That word loneliness is interesting to me because I don't view myself as lonely in society's kind of definition of lonely because lonely to me is a sadness or maybe a depressed state of emotion because you're with yourself or without any company. And I think loneliness, it depends how you look at the definition because I would view myself more as isolated at times than lonely. And I think the reason for that is probably simple math, since we talked about math before. Not everyone is a leader. Not everyone should be a leader. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about fathers or mothers or a good spouse or whatever. You could define leadership in that way, but I'm talking to a greater extent. It's like we can't have everyone being a chef at the restaurant because then there's no one to serve the meal. You do need to have some sort of function in society and leaders provide a certain function. Personally, going back to what you said about your husband, Mike, and where I met him just kind of reminds me of one of the roles that I played as a successful advisor there was training advisors across the country. And I still have calls with advisors to help them. Young and old, new in the business for a while that are just at points where they need some guidance and help. And uh, what I found through that, Tracy, was that top advisors were different. And you could change the word advisor to leader in our conversation, but they come to work differently. They show up differently. Their heart is in it. It's not a job. It is who they are. They are here to make an impact. And they don't just guide their clients in financial strategies They help them by giving them time to create a life purpose. They have different meaning to what they do. And so not only that, but then they create processes around that and they're diligent with it. And they create mission statements and vision statements, which are two different things, by the way, but they do them and they articulate those in a way that everyone understands. They do so in a way that's simplistic because to me, I think there's brilliance in simplicity and leaders can take complex situations and topics And the leadership in them makes them simple so everyone can understand and follow. And we do that in the financial world. I used to print out 120-page plans that no one would read. So it's kind of like Dwight Eisenhower said, you know, plans are are worthless. Planning is everything. And so the advisors that I helped 
across the country, the top ones clearly were different. It's why there is a 1%. It's why there is an 80-20. It's why we have these certain rules. And so your listeners here and viewers are leaders. And so I think the one thing I'd have to say that was the biggest thing I noticed of those top advisors that they had was they had empathy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was learned or how they have it, but I think there's two gifts to being a leader. And that is certain gifts that you have from God. Not everyone is you're using your gifts. I'm using my gifts. So it's a different kind of leadership. There's all different personality types in leadership, of course, but then it's actually utilizing those gifts and those skills, right? And so this is how I kind of circle into the loneliness. I will get to it. I think just no, I love it. Keep going. So when I think about this, because there's nothing wrong with not being a leader, but if you're going to do that, you need to utilize your skill set. And I'll think about it this way. If all of us in the world had the same level of athletic talent to be a professional athlete, would everyone be a professional athlete? No, it'd be the norm. Like if you gave everybody a million dollars, what would that do? Yeah. Everybody has a million dollars. (laughs) Nobody has to work, but then who does stuff? It's a stupid thing. It's yeah. When people say Mm -hmm. that, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea is because there's a certain discipline, diligence, patience that goes involved a certain to, to actually do the dedication and work that's necessary with those gifts. And so when I hear loneliness, personally, I think, oh, someone's sad. That's just how, what I think. Right. And so I actually feel isolated at times because that's a path. It's like that choose your own adventure book that uh-huh. I used to read as a kid. Right. We all have these paths, right? Well, leaders take that one route. Okay. And that path is the road less traveled. Yes. Okay. Whether you say, you know, many are called, few are chosen, whether you're religious or you're in the military, you know, right. Mike, the Marine who may right. be listening to this. So to me, it, it's the truth. And so you have to figure out how you handle that path. And so you can become sad and depressed if you travel that path and you don't have any supporting energy, which is why executives have retreats. It's why people love conferences. It's why your wonderful audience is listening to your Leaders on Leadership podcast. It's because we have a forum in which to express ourselves, to not be depressed, if you will, or sad or lonely, to use that term, from isolation. Now, I think it's important for me to say that being alone is not lonely. Mm-hmm. It is not. There is a clear difference between that. And just to go on that thought, I love watching my big screen TV downstairs. Okay. It's nice. And I'd love for my wife to watch a show with me, but sometimes she wants to stay upstairs and watch her lifetime movies during the season. Okay. So you're smiling because you probably know those lifetime movies and I may not want to enjoy them with her. And I have a different kind of movie I watch downstairs that has more action packed stuff in it. Well, I love it. And I'm completely fine alone watching that movie. But years ago, if I were to walk into a movie theater on my own, I would feel different. I would not be as mature. I would not have as much personal confidence in myself, self-confidence to be able to walk in and just own it. Right. And it took me years to actually feel that level of self-confidence to just be me. And I think we all go through that at different rates. And so it's kind of like one of those things, it's silly now, Tracy, where it's like, wait, if I don't want to spend time with me, why would anyone else want to? Right, right. Right? I mean, you know, it seems so silly, but it's kind of, when you talk about loneliness and I might be getting off track, but it makes me think that it is, especially for leaders, we need time in solitude to contemplate and get the noise out. Mm -hmm. 
of our lives to be able to clear our mind, provide clarity in making decisions. And what I found is whether it, when I do that, and I try to do that every day through meditation, prayer, quietness, et cetera, you know, my wife calls it alone time. Mommy needs alone time. Daddy needs alone time from the kids. (laughs) It is great. And it's very helpful. So that's what I think of when I think of loneliness and the price, I guess, of of leadership, Mm -hmm. it can go down that route. But I think good leaders don't let that happen because they surround themselves around other people that are filled with that same level of energy. I love it. You unpack that so beautifully, Jen. I mean, there is a time when you need to be alone as a leader. Think about Jesus. Jim and I obviously are both believers. So Jesus, before he accepted what was coming to him, what did he do? He went out into the wilderness for 40 days or 40 nights alone. Okay. And so, but your point about too, that it is the road less traveled, you know, the harvest is plenty. The laborers are few. Okay. That means leaders and followers quit. Where are they? Where are they? There's just not that many of them. Yeah. It's just life because I don't know why. I wish it weren't so, but don't bemoan the 1% because that's as old as time. And then your part about that leaders just have that way that they look at things and they are involved in a different way. So I tell people, you should be in the minority, unfortunately, but don't feel like you're the only one in here because good leaders are kind of unicorns out there. Yeah, You know, there's just not that many of them and I don't bemoan it. I just try and find the good ones and connect them with the good followers and all that other stuff. But I think you really beautifully unpack that. And then for listeners, I love it. You do outgrow it. And then I think when you're younger, you're just, oh, I got to be around people to show my yeah. worth. And then you're like, no, this mm-hmm. is me. Mm-hmm. Take it all in. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, do, <laughs> I do. You put that. I do. I love space. I, that's I, right. I, the older I get, the more space and more comfortable in our own skin we have to be. And that's just I part of the journey. It is part of it. Now, let's talk too, because I know you're a big health guy and I love and I respect that. And so are Mike and I. But the next thing he talks about is weariness. Mm-hmm. And like we talked mm-hmm. about, if only 1% is doing what they're supposed to, or the 80, 20, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough. And, you know, my dad would say, Tracy, don't bemoan people that aren't carrying their weight. It's the way it is mm-hmm. right or wrong. Don't complain about it. Life's not fair. Just find the people that are going to really contribute and move on. But it is draining as a leader because you have mm-hmm. to go through that process of doing it. And then also we need to stay in top fighting form to run the race. We're at the leader of the pack. So how do you combat weariness, Jim? And how do you stay really at your best physically, mentally? I know you talked a little bit about spiritually. How do you stay at top peak form so you can be the best for your customers and your family? Wow. That's a lot. That's very important. I think I'd say there's two components to weariness, the physical and the mental. And within each, obviously there would be subsets, but I'll tell you, when I decided to start my firm, my registered investment advisory firm, Diamond Wealth Advisors, it was draining. When you're working 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you have a family and kids and they're young and they want to see you and they want to play with you. But the wonderful support structure that I have with not just my wife supporting me, you know, my parents and everything, you know, there's no branch that bears food alone is what I like to say. And uh, keeping your energy up is very important. I think The thing about weariness as a leader is to be mindful of the energy that you need to possess and that you need to manage because there's a lot of negative energy out there. In fact, I read a report one time for every news story, for every bad news story, 17 bad news stories, there's one good one. There's so much negative energy, whether it's social media or just conversation. The next time you talk with someone casually, think about how negative they may be. Okay. And it just permeates your body. And so we have to protect ourselves from that. And physically, it means that we need to eat well. We were talking about earlier beforehand of just a kind of elimination diet. My wife and I were going on for a short period just to make sure that we're putting in our bodies 
great nutritious food so that we can have quality output. And I've always been the thought that it's not necessarily the output that we need to be concerned with as leaders. It's the input. Oh my gosh. Okay. If you do the input, you do the activity. This is what we do with clients. Focus on the input. The output will be there. Believe Uh me, it will be there. And so I think that's really important. But again, you need to put the energy in the input. If you're working so much time on that and focus on what could be or what will be or whatever, you're not putting all your energy into what it should be. So physical is very important. It's extremely important. Those hours that everyone is going to put in to be successful are just there. You're going to have to do it. But the mental, I would suggest, could be much more important because the ability to be successful as a leader and in my world, successful financially, what we're trying to do for people is help them along that path is you want them walking out of the door feeling better about themselves than when they came in so they can make choices that align appropriately with their purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talk a a lot about this in, um, you know, my book, The Fruit for Retirement, which is providing emotional clarity. And I think to translate that into leaders, providing emotional clarity and thinking of weariness, who would you rather have you lead? Someone that is inspiring or someone that's tired, right? And even if you are fasting on Fridays as we're in Lent, right? Don't show it. Don't let people know it act as if you've already had enough to eat during the day. So I think weariness, it's, I heard something today, actually, I was talking to someone and they made a comment about a prior boss that their prior boss mentioned to them and would go in their office as an employee and say, you don't understand how lonely it is to be the boss. And I thought about that and we just talked about loneliness. And I said, you know what? In my view, a true leader would not tell their employees how lonely it is to be a boss. That's strange. Yeah. They wouldn't do that. And that shows weariness. And what happens on this road, you take that path we're talking about, that is the isolated path as a leader. Weariness would be the first step in my mind before you actually get to loneliness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. that loneliness now is that sadness or depression, which that first step would be weariness. And we get it. We all get weary mentally and physically. It's how do we turn around from that? If that makes sense. There's always pain. There's always what well, they say. There's always problem. Sales is the problem you don't want and the solution you don't have. Okay. We all have these problems we don't want, yeah. but it's how you process pain. Mm-hmm. And pain can be for your bitterment or mm-hmm. your betterment. And so, I mean, that's pretty much the two things. But your thing about worry and weariness, what I love about your book, and we're going to talk about it at the end, is so many people stress about finances and they haven't done anything about it. So many people stress about their job and they're not putting everything into it. So many people stress about their health and they eat like crap. I mean, it's like, why do you worry? The minute you look at it and you take action and you go through the steps of all that, you eradicate that. And I think if leaders are getting into the worry or the weary zone, you're focusing on the right thing because there's good tired and there's bad tired. And worry will kill you. It will not only exhaust you, but your body can catch a disease of the mind. So I love that you're talking about, and guys, there are times as a leader, and I'm sure Jim, you've been too, where you're not feeling it. You're not feeling very tremendous. And you Mm got to go home and suck your thumb for a little and wonder why you show up. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go out and eat worms. But then it's done. 30 second pity party because you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, leaders have a tremendous amount of responsibility. In a prior life, I worked for a CPA firm in Philly, Tracy, and they dealt with bankruptcy. The managing partner was one of four bankruptcy trustees in the state of Delaware. And most companies at that time filed incorporated status, their incorporated status in Delaware before other states have opened up. And so we dealt with cases and I'm a young 
um, beginning my career, a young CPA, and seeing poor decision-making at the top that resulted in hundreds and millions of dollars of investors losing their hard-earned assets, employees losing their job due to poor mistakes at the top and poor leadership because it makes a huge difference. And so I wouldn't say that it isn't on my mind when I show up every day that I have hundreds of millions of dollars Oh, I can't even imagine investable assets that are important that we make the right choices. And so we have to maintain it is my responsibility and obligation as a president to make sure that my mind is sharp and my body can handle that. And if I can't, then I got to step down. I love it, man. That's a great application. And Delaware is, I just read that Alamo Drafthouse filed for bankruptcy in Delaware. Is that why they do it in Delaware? They're in Texas, Alamo, the Drafthouse Cinema. Yeah, they were incorporated in Delaware. So that's what happened. So wherever they incorporate, that's where they would file bankruptcy. And you think that's- I probably know the firm that's handling the case. (laughs) Because I saw that on LinkedIn and everybody's like, why Delaware? Why not Texas? And I'm like, why Delaware? Jim Degatato, folks, he's a wealth of knowledge. You know, and I'm like, when you said that, I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand. Talk (laughs) about a very interesting job. I mean, I was young, I was 24, 25 years old, and I was being sent out across the country to run firms because they'd either be fine chapter seven or chapter 11. And if they're reorganizing, then basically they, most of the executives would leave or they'd be paid some sort of bonus to stay. And I would be flown out. And I remember the guy running the managing partner. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. He says, just go get information, figure it out. And so um, his belief was trial by fire. And for me personally, it was a wonderful experience right. at such a young age to kind of figure things out like that. Well, it's the old message, Garcia. Just do it. Yeah. Go yeah. Get message totally. Kona Rowan, get this message across. How? He didn't even say, yes. figure it out. Okay. So Jim, as a student of leadership, do you think most leaders at the top, how does that happen? They understand the numbers. Are they just asleep at the wheel? Is there ethical character malformations? Are they just not that smart? How does this happen? How do you not see the end coming? Now, Um, I understand. I think think most are very smart. They know what they're doing. It's called greed. Usually when you look at it, oh my, I could tell you stories. That's another podcast. But you know, it's behavior. The reason people are successful financially is their behavior. The reason that they would not be successful financially would be their behavior. And so it's why I wrote Larry the Bunny, saves his money. It's why I wrote the Fruitful Retirement. It's on two spectrums, but as leaders, it's behavior. And so most of that comes to fear and greed. And so what I found was that most of those at the top that made those decisions, they got caught up in it. They got lost in it. They actually, to use a phrase, probably for your next transition, they abandon who they are. Okay. When they originally started out their firm, okay. their entrepreneur spirit of what they wanted to be. And I think that sometimes people get lost. Well, and we're going to talk about that the next with abandonment mission. And one thing I will say this, Alamo Drafthouse was in the movie industry. Who could have prevented this? I don't know what, you know what I'm saying? So there are certain industries like cruise ships, like movies, shut down for a year. How do you contingency plan for that? You know what I'm saying? So I live in Austin. I love Alamo Drafthouse. So not critiquing on them, but it was more why Delaware? So you answered that. But yeah, the other ones, you know, if all things considered, you should have seen it coming or you should have prevented it, you know? Yeah. You know, I see what you mean by that. I was coming down the route of actual misleading information at the top, oh, uh, yeah. fraudulent activities or conveyances. That's what I was thinking. But you're right. I mean, tactical maneuvering and pivoting is part of just the overall 
strategy. And I mean, I think of, I have wonderful memories of going into Blockbuster when I was a kid looking at movies and, you know, they didn't see it coming of how to change their method of delivering content. And, you know, that's how it goes. So, how it goes. Uh, you know, you could use examples from Sears to JCPenney and Kmart and whole way up now, what's going to be the next Amazon. We'll look back in history and say, oh, we should have all known that. But again, very few uh, visionary leaders actually possess that kind of capability to, to actually kind of understand that. So you're right. It isn't a fault sometimes of leadership. Yeah. But a lot of, most of the time it is. I will grant you that. So the next one we talk about, we talked about loneliness. We talked about weariness. The next price he said was abandonment and typically abandonment, you know, I'm in pet rescue. So abandonment is a bad term, Mm -hmm. but he really talked, used the term abandonment as almost a hyper-focus. You need to stop thinking about what you like and want to think about in favor of what you ought and need to think about. So how do you, Jim, as you're going all these places, you're juggling all these things, how do you stay singularly focused on all the things responsible that you have on your plate? That's a great question. So I kind of think of abandonment in two ways and how you stay on track Mm -hmm. really means you need a very clear strategy of what that vision is that people can follow. Before this call, we had a rotary meeting for the Rotary Club of Carlisle here. And it just kind of made me think of when I was president a few years back, uh, my motto was be all in. And so if you're going to do it, be all in. Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean you don't pivot. Like we talked about that Blockbuster should have done or whatever. But it means you do got to own it and be responsible for it and breathe it, live it. That is you. And so if you have to pivot, you have to pivot. But people will abandon that strategy. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, this might be a weird analogy, but think of it like a, a bicyclist that is going on a race. And so they have all the equipment, the appropriate equipment to change their gears as they're going up and down the hills, right? But their main focus is the finish line, right? And so that's the bicyclist. But if you abandon the race, right? It's probably because you haven't prepared appropriately and you don't have the right equipment to change gears when you're going up and down the hills. And so part of what we're talking about is adaptation. And that is a clear, essential thing for leadership. Actually, a good friend of mine, Lieutenant General, or retired David Barno, wrote a book recently called Adaptation Under Fire. It has to do with how the military reacts and what kind of framework they have to handle the changing uh, war times that we're in. But adaptation is much different than abandonment. And right. so I think how you stick to it is you have to make sure you're prepared. And I, I'm a firm believer in athletics growing up with kids because it shows you how to win and how to lose, how to prepare to win. And so I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old at home and I want them to get involved. Actually, we got my son getting involved in karate just because of the discipline. Yes. You know, he's not learning how to beat anyone up. He's learning to stay away from fights and and learn about self-discipline and control, which are very important. Control actually is a very important element to not abandon who you are, what you're doing. I would have to say probably a whole other thing if I'm going down the line of abandonment would be as entrepreneurs creating a business, which you know, Tracy, you're going to be told no a lot. And whether it's seed money, angel investors, whether it's just getting started or me as an advisor, you know, getting started in my career, people said, no, I remember the no's. It hurts, right? Because it's like someone rejecting you and who you are. Like, no, Tracy, I don't want to be on your podcast. No, Jim, I don't want to buy your book. Well, what, why I put my hard work and my love into this thing, right? And so it kind of hurts us. And so I think we emotionally 
get so tied in that we have to like move forward. So we have to be aware that, look, we're going to be told no. And I think good leaders Mm -hmm. somehow find a way to get past it, right? Right. It doesn't mean we don't remember it. We recognize it. It's a part of our DNA. In fact, it can be a very good motivator for many people. You know, if you're the wounded child, like I may be, you're told that you're not good enough and not good enough. Well, you know what? You're going to be good enough. Yeah. I don't know. I think the way to stick with not abandoning your strategy is to understand it and be prepared and be able to adapt. Well, or even like you said, abandon. I mean, it's kind of the old serenity prayer. Let me me attack what I can attack. But the haters, you can't change that. That's a biblical thing. But help me. I just pray God, just let me not fixate on it. Let me abandon my self-pity and my wallowing and my dwelling and move on. And so a lot of times you have to just abandon that negative self-talk, that pity party, that victim attack. We're always exchanging in life, one thing for another. And you constantly have to be putting down, like you got to fill your mind with something and Mm -hmm. the negative creeps in. So you have to abandon that, but then you have to replace it with something else positive. That's right. We actually, in the Fruit for Retirement, we talk about controlling the things that you can control, putting your focus and energy in that. And that's kind of a part that we were talking about with weariness. It all ties together. It really is all connected. And that comes with focusing your energy on what is most important. And, you know, when I started my firm, there were headwinds. There's not complete agreements. There are people that are going to say things that may not be true. But if I focus my energy on things that people are saying that are untrue, I'm literally wasting my time. And so I needed to focus on what I really wanted that outcome to look like, or should I say the inputs so that the outcome would happen? Absolutely. I love it. Okay. So loneliness, weariness, abandonment. The last thing he talked about was vision. And I think sometimes we think of Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett and we're like, you know, Nostradamus from on high. But my dad always said vision is really just seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. So there's this execution. Like, again, he was very pragmatic, but how do you, and Jim, you sound very much like him in the vein of, okay, I see it and I'm going to execute it. Cause otherwise you're in theory land, yeah. but applied knowledge, that's where it becomes wisdom, knowledge yeah. to wisdom through application. Like hmm. you said, input, I do something about it. And then I deal this out, but how do you craft your vision or what do you do to clarify your vision? Or you talked about pivoting. You ever had your vision change hmm. on you? Sure. I definitely have. And I think leaders have power, you know, power is intangible. And there's a difference between a a mission and a vision, you know, mission would be, what do we want to be? And, you know, I'd have to say vision would be what we do that makes a difference. And so we really want to focus on what we're doing that makes a difference. Actually, oh gosh, I know I had this written down. The lady that just spoke at Rotary that we just had, because it's fresh in my mind, she's a rear admiral, retired, and uh, she's president of the CEO of Girl Scouts of the Hearts of PA. And let me read to you what their mission and vision statement is, okay? The mission is to build girls of courage, confidence, and character to make the world a better place. The vision is the work of today is the history of tomorrow, and we are its makers. I love that, right? I love that. So well said. And so it has a clear vision of where you're going. And I created and trademarked this thing called the Path to Clarity Map that I use with clients. We don't talk about it in my book, but it's part of our our onboarding and our discussion and beginning with conversations and engendering trust with clients and how that is. And really, it's kind of like where you are now and where you want to be. And if you're thinking of any vision and trying to execute, I am a clear executor. I like to execute. And sometimes I know that. So I have to step back, be aware to not move too fast. You dealt with this with the publication of my book. 
and you dealt with it, by the way, in such a wonderful manner. Thank you. But I'm um, smiling because I'm just like you. So <laughs> I, when I understand everybody. Jim and I have nothing but we're both high Ds. So yes, these know it, it, we it, see it, each other. Yeah, it is. And so here's the way I think of vision. Let's take a car, a map and gasoline, right? One can have a car and a map, but without gasoline, the destination can't be reached. The car represents those that follow the path set forth by the map. To me, basic leaders, basic leaders, okay? Just basic leaders, they're going to create the map. But leaders with vision create the gas too. And that's that's profound. So I just kind of feel like we got to create the gas and that's the positive energy and that's what it's all about. And that kind of can um, maybe distill some of these prices of leadership that your dad has talked about. So that's where I kind of see vision. Mm -hmm. I love it too. You hit on two things. I was just talking to another gentleman and he said he can help you distill your purpose, which is kind of a vision in two words, a verb and a noun. I'm like, two words, how can it be? But where you talk about that creating gas, the Girl Scouts making history. And that's beautiful. What is the verb to the noun that you do? And that's that's a great great. way just to keep you oriented towards the top level. What's my North Star? Because vision has to be, and then we're down here scrapping and diverting and (laughs) in-flight emergencies and crashing and getting up and yay, winning. But I love that. I love that you really talked about that. And that is truly what leadership is. It fuels other people. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So we covered loneliness, weariness, abandonment, a vision. Jim, what else do you want to share with our leaders? You're quite accomplished. Any other main themes or points you want to leave them with? Maybe I just say, despite kind of the world's reliance on on judgment as a source of strength, wisdom is is not judgment. It's the relinquishment of it. And I think as leaders, we need to let our minds be guided by our hearts. And let's use our words to heal. We have the power to do so. And we don't need to use force to do it. We can do so from our words and actions, and we can lead from the top to do so. And I think what people really want is to be recognized of the good that they have within themselves that's provided by God by birth. Mm -hmm. And all we need to do as leaders is use that leadership to inspire others to kind of look within and act in alignment and connect with that purpose that they have and that purpose of whatever organization that you are leading. I think that would be my last thought. On that. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know, Jim, and for the listener, judgment is not a source of strength. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That was really beautifully put. And, you know, wisdom yeah. is, wisdom was there when God spoke it all into existence. So yeah. what a beautiful way to really hit on what I think is missing in leadership today and what is shredding the fabric of humanity. Mm-hmm. Too much judgment, not enough wisdom you know, recognition. So awesome. Okay, Jim. Now I want to talk about something else to our listeners out there. Jim has talked about two of his books. Okay. Mm -hmm. The fruit for retirement came out and Larry, the bunny save his money. (laughs) If you think this is cute, you just wait until you get about this and Jim will tell you where you can get them. How Uh precious. You guys know how I feel about animals teaching life lessons, no greater teacher. And then Jim goes into this and I love this, Jim. This is your latest book that came out Mm -hmm. and he has an incredible framework in there and you've heard Jim, okay? He's not just a financial brilliant mind, but an advisor, he's an advocate. And his whole book is how he advocates for people to eradicate their fear with this incredible construct he has. 
And I love that he says it's a little bit self-help and it's a little bit financial freedom because until you get your mind in the game, money's not magic, but we're all squirrely about, you know, how we think about it. So Jim, could you just talk a little bit to this and where folks can get copies of this? Sure. The reason I wrote the book was having thousands of appointments over the years, helping people with this transition into retirement. You hear their hopes, their dreams, their concerns. You have a kind of an idea of what that roadmap looks like. And one of the things that I found that is missing out there in the marketplace is the emotional component. You cannot expect to do your life's work and have your identity all of a sudden you get hand in the key and you're a different person. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's ludicrous. It's laughable and it's silly. Yet millions of Americans every year go through this transition and they don't want to necessarily talk about it. Right. And I don't want to be gender biased here. I tend to see more men because they're from that particular time that you didn't want to talk about your feelings. It's not manly or masculine to do so. So I wrote the book so that there could be a shared understanding that we are not alone. There are other people going through the same transition. And here's what I found. And I have some wonderful exercises that can help people. One of which is to find out, talk to three different people who have retired over the last year or two. Ask them. And I give questions to ask because look, I'm an advisor. I'm not retired. And so here I am giving guidance on people retire. Ask someone that's retired, right? Brilliant. So, and then we use fruits because what I found was everyone basically can be categorized into one of three different classifications financially when they enter their retirement. And I have actually linked each to a fruit. Why? Our brains are visual. And so you will remember very quickly, once you find out what fruit you are, how you should plan financially and the risks that you need to focus on mitigating. So the book uses that, but also fruitful, as we talked about earlier, has another connotation, which is, you know, the art of being fruitful is not about creating money for possessions. It's about creating the life you want to live and your purpose. And there are so many things. We have a 101 things to do in retirement, you know, top 25 places to live. We have some cool things in the book that I think would be very helpful for you. If you're thinking of retiring or recently retired, or, you know, someone that's retiring, I think they'd benefit. And if you are, and you're in that stage of life, there's a good chance you might be a grandparent. And that's where the Larry the Bunny comes in as well as a potential gift. Larry is just a cute little bunny, guys. Saving his carrots. Yes. And so Larry gets paid in carrots and he remembers the wise words his dad taught him. Every time you work in, get your pay, save two carrots for another day. He gets paid 10 a month. And it Larry goes through life's activities, buying a car, buying a house, buying groceries. He even has an Uncle Sam that keeps the town clean and sound and it costs three carrots to do so. So they learn math, basic math. They have to count the carrots, but they also learn the value of dollar and value of integrity because Larry does share. He Mm -hmm. saves first, shares, and then he spends. And that allows Larry to have a wonderful life. The connotation for young kids is who learn by cause and effect. This means that saving is good. Right. Saving is positive and it can be fun. And so Oh man, that's a whole nother thing we could unwrap on another conversation. But yes, so those are the books I've written. And what are the um, ages we were, for Larry the Bunny? What ages? I would say probably three to eight would be okay. the ages for Larry the Bunny. I have received letters from 10, 11, 12 year olds that have told me what they've learned from it, which is kind of cool. We've received some wonderful attention, become a bestseller on Amazon and have been on some very large, I guess, TV media coverage for Larry the Bunny. Mm-hmm. Tis the season with financial literacy coming up in April and Easter. And the Fruitful Retirement just recently came out that tremendous leadership had published and done a wonderful job doing so. 
So I'd like to hope you read the book and call it tremendous. But if you just get one bit of information that can help you along your way, that's the point. Excellent. And they can get both of those books on Amazon. Now, Jim, where can people get in touch with you and Diamond Wealth? Yes. I would say the best way, if you're interested in learning more about Larry the Bunny or the Fruit for Retirement, we do have newsletters and blogs that I'm writing and articles. That would be on jimdegatano.com. So J-I-M-D-E-G-A-E-T-A-N-O.com. And we'll um, put that if, in the show notes too. Yep. Yeah. If someone was interested in learning more about Diamond Wealth Advisors, they could just go to diamondwealthadvisors.com. We have videos that I have to talk about what we do and how we do it. That's beautiful. Excellent. Jim, listen, I just want to thank you so much. It's just such a pleasure to meet you, to get the honor of working with you to publish and just to listen to your leadership insights. You gave me a lot of great things. No wonder you're so tremendous. No wonder you're so successful. And no wonder you're such a blessing to so many people. So keep up the good work, friend. You're too kind. Thank you, Tracy. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And to our tremendous listeners out there, if you like what you heard, you be sure and hit that bell and the subscribe button. Better yet, leave us a review or a rating. Share us with some of your friends who would love to hear some of Jim's tremendous wisdom on what it takes to pay the price of leadership. Thanks, everyone. And be sure and go over to Tremendous Leadership, where you can download a free copy of my father's speech, The Price of Leadership, so you can hear all about the four components of paying the price of leadership. Thanks, everybody. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.